it's past time for you to grow up. You've been yanked around, you've been blown about a bit of information that's come your way. It's past time to grow up. This is the kind of thing that can really only be said in two ways, right? One is in a manner of impatience. Why won't you just grow up? Your immaturity is an inconvenience to me, right? We can say it that way. You're embarrassing me. Uh, maybe you're angering me that you won't do what I've asked you to. You're frustrating me that you have all this unfulfilled potential. This mode of, of speaking, um, it's a, it's, it's, it, it, it is diminutive towards the person who receives it, right? It focuses on their lack. And it's really ultimately about the person offering the criticism. Why would you grow up? Because you're an inconvenience with your immaturity. But there's another way to speak that is invitational and that is rooted in love that says the same thing. It's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to mature. I remember pretty vividly when I was in 8th or ninth grade, I was at youth group. Uh, and we were playing a game with the youth that was a little bit rough, and there was a kid who was a year or two than I was, and I was a little rougher than I should have been, but I didn't realize it, because I had grown a little bit that summer, and the other kid had not. And a man that you guys know, David Carroll, pulled me aside, and he said, Chad, you're bigger and stronger than you used to be, and you didn't know that until right now. But now that you know you got to live a little bit differently. you got to be a little bit more careful about how you push people around and play rough. You're stronger, and so you have to grow up. There's a way that a call to grow up can be rooted not in my own desire for you to stop frustrating me or embarrassing me or angering me, but in the interest of the person who has an opportunity to mature. Calling for maturity for their sake. To live into the possibility to encourage their growth in a way that builds them up. Not because they are an inconvenience. Because they are a member of the body of Christ that needs to get stronger. When we think about maturity, usually what we think about is is something like separating the men from the boys. We need, to, we need to find the mature ones and hang out. We don't want to hang out with these other folks because they're too immature. They're too young. They don't really measure up to the level of maturity that I have found. And in this way, maturity functions as a divisive concept. The immature ones should be left behind so that the mature ones can be their cool, mature selves alone, not inconvenienced by all of the frustrations of the ones that haven't yet matured. But it turns out as we read Paul's words here in Ephesians that this is a fault of maturity and actually indicates immaturity. Because real maturity looks like unconditional love. In last week's text that we read, we read about Jesus who only after He had first descended, 
And last week's text called us to reach the full stature of Jesus. To become mature adults. And here as he continues to describe it, that downloadable nature of the maturity of Jesus that became a child so that he could reach us and save us and his life for us. That is what authentic maturity looks like. Authentic maturity learns to love. Authentic maturity wants what is best for the whole body, not just itself. Maturity knows the truth and the manner in which it should be told, speaking the truth in love. This image that Paul paints for us about what maturity and what, what Christian maturity looks like is very different than the discourse that we see in our world today, but it's important for you to know that this is not anything new. In uh, the 5th century B.C. in Athens, which was a direct democracy, there were people who were concerned about the way that the masses could be swayed by good argument in one direction or other in a way that became separated from the truth. In fact, if you want to see a comical representation of this, you can look up Aristophanes' play, The Clowns. I'm going to tell you some of the plot today. In the play, there's a, there's a dad, uh, and the dad has gone for his son. Uh, his son who loves to ride horses, uh, and the dad is no longer able to service the debt and has to find a way out of it. He's tried everything else, and so now he has a new plan. He's going to get himself or his son enrolled at the school around the corner called The Thinkery. Now, The Thinkery is a place where sophistry is taught. Sophistry is like fake wisdom. So, the appearance of wisdom. And all arguments exist for the sake of a cause rather than the truth. So the dad wants his son to go to this school so that he can learn how to make an argument to the bankers that are calling on his debt to that he should not have to pay the debt. And it works, fundamentally. The son goes to school. He learns how to make ridiculous arguments. In any kind of communal sense of virtue, what's good for the whole community, only good for himself. And he goes to the bankers and he convinces them that they shouldn't have to pay the debt. But then, then it gets worse for the son and the dad. Because the son has realized he can make an argument to defend anything that he wants to do. So he starts his own dad and convincing himself and trying to convince his father that this is the right thing to do. And from there, it goes on and gets worse. This kind of means-to-an-end way of thinking about truth, about arguments, was a danger to democracy 2,500 years ago, and it's a danger to life together and community now. This way of thinking that if we can just make the case and make the argument so that we can profit, so that we can have what we want, is entirely opposed to the gospel. 
past time to grow up, Paul says. You've been blown about, pulled around, tossed by every wave for entirely too long. You don't know who to trust. And there's a way through this, he says. Maybe that's how you feel today as well. You hear arguments from every side. You don't know where to look or who to turn to. You don't know whom to trust. And you feel like we're in a world where everyone is just out for themselves. No one is interested in virtue. No one is interested in what's best for the community. Everyone is out to get what is theirs and to protect their own interests. And if that's how you feel today, that's how you feel today, you need to remember who Paul told you you were in Ephesians 2. That you are being built into a spiritual house. That Christ is the cornerstone of that house. He is the, the, the sure part of the foundation on which everything else is aligned. Christ is the way and the truth and the life. And when we get oriented around Christ, our relationship with truth and our relationship with one another begins to look different than the rest of the world. We can't be focused on truth and lies. Falsehood always divides. Lies always separate us from one another. It fragments No mistake that the devil is called the father of lies. Lies deeply diminish who we can be as a community. And in opposition to that, Christians have a responsibility to know and to speak the truth. To know and to speak the truth in love. We don't perpetuate falsehoods or half-truths. But also there's another element to this that is deeply countercultural for the way that all of our discourse happens on a day-to-day basis. That truth, culturally, much like maturity, can be divisive. That we get so focused on the truth, on being right, on being convinced that we are right, and beating other people over the heads with it, that it works to divide us as if it were lies. It is not Christian maturity to be right in a way that breaks relationships. Now, this takes maturity from both sides because relationships take two sides, right? But inasmuch as we are willing to pull back and not interact with people because we think they are wrong, that is not Christian maturity. Christian maturity finds a way to speak the truth in love. doesn't shy away from the truth but it doesn't do that in a way that puffs us up and makes us proud and lets us not associate with the folks that we are convinced is wrong. This is really important because part of maturity is recognizing that we ourselves might be wrong. We ourselves might be the ones who've had the wool pulled over our eyes. We may very well be mistaken. Especially in a world where there's so much specialization that none of us can be experts in everything. 
No matter how smart we are, no matter how much we think we can do all of the research that we need to do to know, there are entire fields of specialization that extend beyond our expertise that we cannot understand. And therefore, if modern society is going to work, it requires an element of trust that we seem to have lost. And the way back, the only way back is through the foundation that we find in Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. Real truth is always bound together with love. There is no truth that matters in the absence of love. This is the whole message of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, that we can be right, and without love, we're just We're just sounding, clashing symbols that hurt everyone's ears. Real truth must be bound together with love. So Paul here in this text today says something that could be received as somewhat offensive. If you're not a little bit offended by it, you're not thinking he's talking to you. And I'm pretty convinced he's talking to all of us. As he says, grow up. Don't be children anymore. Don't get pulled this way and that way by every wind of doctrine, by every piece of news, by everything that's coming through your filters, fixed by your algorithms so that you'll read it because you like it and not the other stuff. All of that is truth in a vacuum or lies in a vacuum. And in either case, in either case, It pulls us apart and divides us. Paul wants the church to know truth in love. Which does not mean that we will never disagree. It does not mean that we will never be wrong. But what it means is that Christian maturity does not break relationship when others are wrong or when we are wrong. What it looks like is leaning in and seeking to follow Jesus together. All of this happens, every bit of it, for the building up of the body of Christ. And as Paul describes this, when we think about building up the body of Christ, we might default to the metaphor that we talked about before, that God is piecing together a spiritual house and Jesus is the cornerstone. But this is not how buildings grow the way that he describes them. He's talking about a body now. That Christ is the head from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped. The focus is on the connective tissue, right? As each part works properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. If we exercise, if we exercise inappropriately, that leads to injury, right? If we put on too much weight or if we, if we use movements that aren't good for our joints and our bones, it leads us to hurt ourselves. But exercise where everything is working rightly, where everything is moving as it should, makes us more capable of this over time. There's growth that happens as we build our bodies in the right way. Right movements lead to more strength Wrong movements lead to diminished strength and injury. This is what it looks like 
for us to expect one another to share the truth in love. We don't get to leave others behind because they're immature or wrong. Though culture will tell us that we shouldn't hang out with immature folks or with people who disagree with us, that's not what Paul calls us to. What Paul calls us to is to no longer get yanked around by those things. By other people's craftiness and deceitful scheming. But instead, to grow in our strength as a community of faith together. Such that as mature people who love one another and are invested in the truth, we can grow stronger. It's not a diminishment of who we are now. It is an invitation to grow into what God has made us to be. Paul's not writing it out of frustration or anger or selfishness. He's writing it out of hope for the way that the grace of God can be at work in a community and a congregation like ours. And every part has a responsibility in this. We talked about this this last week. But I want to press it a little bit further. Because if any part of the body is failing to grow, if any part of the body is not maturing as it should, that diminishes the strength of the whole body. We cannot do our work and mission to the Lord as well if you are falling short of God's call to grow. It's good for you and it's good for the church for you to be growing as a disciple of Jesus. And both of those things should be motivating to you. Not just that you can grow, but that you can grow in a manner that benefits the whole church. None of us are trying to make it to a point where we can do faith on our own. It's always driving us back to where we can be united with Christ and in service to Christ's people. Maturity does not separate us from the immature. It invites us to enter into relationships of discipleship that bring people along. The truth is not an invitation to leave behind those who are wrong. It is an invitation to learn how to love. How to speak the truth in love such that the body as it does this over time gets stronger and stronger and is built up in love. The gospel is nothing less than this. To learn to love God with our heart and soul and mind and strength. And to love our neighbors as ourselves. If our discourse, if our truth, if our sense of our maturity or our sense of our rightness is pulling us away from members of the body of Christ, then we're doing it wrong. But if it is drawing us into one another, such that all of us are growing and being built up, then there could be nothing more beautiful than a church like that. Let us embrace the grace of God which brings us to the full stature of Christ, which leaves us firmly anchored so that we don't get pulled around by every wave, and so that we together in truth and love can grow and do the work that Christ has called us to do. We seek that as we worship. We will experience that at the table as Christ brings us together and nourishes us and sends us out in His truth to spread His love all throughout the world as we give ourselves to others. 
Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, you know how much we like to be right. You know how much we like to be the most mature. You know how divisive our spirits can be. And so we humbly ask, O Lord, in a world that seems to have discarded the truth, that by Your grace we could learn to be one body. That You would humble us in maturity. You would fill us with love as much as we seek the truth. That in our interactions with one another, we could be building one another up as we seek to follow You as we seek the stability and the certainty that we find in the hope that you have offered us and the inheritance that you have promised to us. We pray this in your name, humbly, and expecting you to do your work in our midst. Amen.